Good evening, everybody. Wasn't it nice today? So pretty, especially if you like really warm weather. That was great. You know, this morning, I, I like to, like I have right now, I like to have like a cough drop in my mouth. It helps to protect my vocal cords. And I've, I've done that for many years. So this morning, I came here and I usually have some kind of kept in my pocket, my jacket. I reached in my pocket and there wasn't one. So I asked Anita if she had one or some other piece of candy. And this morning she handed me one of those cinnamon drops. That got me fired up. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, when you're You've ordered tea and they accidentally brought you Coke or something like that. It's like, whoa, wait. But that was good. So if I speed up or something, you'll think maybe he didn't get a cough drop. Maybe he got one of those cinnamon drops or something. We're going to sing a song together to kind of start off our session. We'll sing, then have a prayer, and then we'll begin our Bible class. We think that there was an announcement made this morning to the effect that the Golden Circle was going out for breakfast on the 21st. Actually, that is the 28th, one week later. That's the original time. So just if, if you heard 21st and you changed your calendar, well, now go back and change it back to the way it was. And if that messes up your, you know, your special little writing or whatever piece, real sorry about that. Uh-oh, this is not good. This means technical difficulty. All right, let's sing a song together and then pray and start a class. 230. 230. Worthy of praise is Christ our Redeemer. Worthy of glory, honor, and power. Worthy of all our souls and adoration. Worthy of Worthy of riches, 
Our Father in heaven, thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for our health and strength, the freedoms that we enjoy to be able to assemble in this place to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray, Father, that all that we offer to you is of a sweet taste to you. It's offered in holiness, made possible through Jesus. We pray, Father, that you will bless us now as we continue our review of the book of Leviticus. I pray, Lord, that you will impress upon us the importance of the purpose of this book. Help us to understand how it was necessary historically, why you wrote it in the first place, how that it impresses us with the doctrinal messages that we find there. It builds us up spiritually. And thank you, Father, for what it represents to us as we think about Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, as the perfect high priest, and as the means by which we can approach you in holiness. Help us, Lord, as we study it, that it will make an impression on us that every time we approach you, we will see you in your greatness and in your purity. Thank you for what you've done through Jesus to make it possible for, for even us, such unholy creatures, to be able to approach you as the great and holy God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so last time introduced some of the elements that represent the purpose behind the writing of this book. A book that's offered to us by inspiration of God, written through the instrument of God's servant Moses, and then the implementation of a lot of what we read here in this book, the initial application was done through Moses' brother, Aaron. And then that established a pattern that was going to be followed until such time as the Son of God came, who is the perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest, the very one that all of history was looking to in order to eradicate the sin problem that existed because of a separation between God and man, and of the perfect sacrifice that made reuniting us, reconciliation, making that possible. So we, in a very quick way last time, looked at the historical purpose, why it is that this book was written, and I mentioned to you that the book is broken down very logically into two different parts. The first part is from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 10, verse 20. That section, historically, was to describe for us the fact that the God we are serving and the God that we are approaching is a holy God. Therefore, in order to approach him, we can't just bring him anything and everything that we want to offer him. It has to be set apart. That is demonstrated through all of the 
implements that are used in the tabernacle. If you've just found those implements somewhere, you might think that they're regular things, tongs and ladles and candlesticks and tables. But because those things were set apart, because God said, not in and of themselves they are special, but they're special because I say they're special, that gives us a little indication of the difference between what it means to be perfect and what it means to be holy. To be perfect would mean to be flawless, but to be holy means that it is set apart for special use. That whole idea of the difference between perfection, which God is and we can't approach, and holiness being set apart and different and special, all of that is established right there in the book of Leviticus. And it's interesting to me that those first chapters end up there in chapter 10, where you have an example of the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, who offer up something that is profane to the Lord. And immediately, what did he do? <laughs> he fried them, okay? That's right to the point, Jim. And that's exactly what happened. They transgressed the commandment of God. God made an immediate demonstration. And then he tells Aaron, don't you grieve for those boys in front of these people. Because Aaron represented, and here it is, he represented holiness. Remember on the turban, across the top, holiness to the Lord. High priest represents holiness. That holiness should not be grieving over something that is profane. And so Aaron, faithful to his role as the high priest, maintained his composure, even as no doubt he was overwhelmed on the inside. That's the difference, again, between perfection. I'm not perfect. I, even emotionally, I may react. But holiness called for a different disposition on that occasion. And then the second part, historically, that begins with the beginning of chapter 11 and verse 1 and goes through the end of the book, chapter 27 and verse 34, actually deals with, okay, now that we are impressed with the fact that we are approaching this holy God, even though we're not perfect, we're approaching him in holiness, and by the means that he has given us, we... We become holy or set apart in the activities themselves when we approach God. And so therefore we are accepted. From this second section, it has to do with the everyday life. Okay, if, if I'm going to serve this holy God who clearly requires a holy life, then I need to know what a holy life looks like so that I can be in good favor with that God who, boy, who knows, maybe he'll... Maybe he'll fry me if I'm not responsive to his will. So that second part is, uh, first part, kind of a manual to holiness. Second part, kind of a manual to practical living, the day-to-day -day life that you would live approaching God. Okay, that's historical. That was primarily for Israel. Doctrinally speaking, when you step back from it and you look at all those elements, again, same kind of themes come out. Except I suggested to you that there's, you know, kind of in keeping with our theme verse 
chapter 11, verse 45. And also it's, it's restated several different times. I gave you another key verse, which was chapter 19, verse 2, basically says the same thing. But God proclaims that he is holy and those who are going to worship him or approach him must themselves be holy. God set apart. You want to worship him? You better be set apart. I'm holy, so you be holy. So in the first section, chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 10, verse 20, you have God is holy and the description of everything related to his holiness in, in kind of connection with us, inter, interacting with us is described. Okay, so God is holy. And then the second part of that is actually the second part of Leviticus from chapter 11, verse 1 through the end of the book, chapter 27, verse 34. God's holy for a second. Second section, you be holy. How can I be holy? Well, read the section. I mean, everything that pertains to your life, your feet on the ground, how you interact with people, sacrifices that are to be made in the event that sin occurs, everything that you need to know to rectify a situation and to set yourself apart again. No, you're not perfect, but you can be holy before God. All those elements there are established and kind of the, just the process is laid out. I also mentioned to you the importance of process. And in this book, you know that when sin occurs, the first thing that we have to do is, you remember what it was? You have to, starts with a P. Remember, all of them start with a P. That's a memory device. So all of them start with P. Ends with a Y. It has a urity in it, or a urity. Purity, right, right, yay! Pat yourself on the back. Okay, so I want to purify sin in my life. First thing I need to do, purify that. Get, get, that, get that out of my life, okay? Um, I've got to, once I purify or I've, I've gotten the sin pardoned, then I've got to what? Okay, so when sin occurs... I recognize it. God received pardon from God. I have pardoned from my sin, separated from my sin, have to have purification take place. Um, and then I've got to remember our community. What do we have to do with our community? Is this the same group of people that were, you are all visitors. I see that now. We've got to protect our community. And how about this? Do you, remember, do you remember the New Testament example that we gave of, of just this? Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5? I know you do. Where there was sin in the church and that sin was identified. And the first thing you've got to do, you've got to get rid of it, right? Got to get rid of the sin. Got to identify it, purge, purge the sin. Then once the sin is purged or it's gotten, uh, gotten rid of, then you have to purify. Remember, they had to cleanse themselves because if you don't, then that little leaven is going to do what? 
It's going to leaven the whole lump, right? Sin is going to spread. And, and here's the thing. We were talking about this a little bit afterward. Once that, once that leaven or a seed, whatever metaphor you want to use, once that's been planted, even if, even if you repent of your sin, guess what? If that sin hasn't really adequately been dealt with, then what else could happen? It can't sin spring up just everywhere. If that's tolerated, if we don't act against, we don't really, if we don't purify the sin, then we've got a problem. So that brings us to that last step where we're going to protect the community. We're going to eradicate that sin, purge it, and then we're going to protect the community. We're not going to let that happen. I'll tell you a short story of something that happened one time. My cousin, Eddie Knuckles, he worked for the fire department. Okay, he worked for the fire department. He decided, even though there was a fire ban in our area, he had some brush, and after all, he is a fireman, so he was going to go burn that brush. Well, he happened to live in a clearing that was basically in the middle of about 30 acres of pine trees, okay? Now, pine trees produce these little pine needles that fall all over everything, and over time, they decay, and you can't really tell they're pine needles, and grass grows up around it. Nevertheless, that stuff is still a tinderbox. Well, Cousin Eddie decided he was going to, despite the ban, since he's a fireman, he is a professional, he was going to go ahead and burn his pile. Way out there in the woods, who would ever know? He built his fire, he burned the mass of debris that he had assembled there, he thought he was finished, kind of watered that thing down, was ready to go to the house. I've completed my task. And his wife happened to notice there was a fire out there in the woods. Well, Eddie, being the fireman that he was, ran out there and extinguished that fire. And now his wife noticed there are two fires. There's one right there, and there's one over there. Well, guess what? Mr. Fireman Eddie didn't realize that not only was that a tinderbox ready to blow up, but that all those trees with all those roots were carrying that fire underneath all of the debris of that wooded area. So Eddie had to call, <laughs> had to call the fire department. <laughs> and then he was banned from burning, <laughs> put on probation, my fireman cousin. Uh, nevertheless, what my point is, we may think we've extinguished the fire, but once a seed is planted, or in, in Paul's analogy, once the, once the leaven has been sown, guess what? That thing spreads very quickly. So we have got to take care of the sin, eradicate it, and protect the community such that the fires, the flames do not continue to pop up and to spread. That was a necessary component. And you find that whole, whole scenario through the book of Leviticus in different forms, reminding us of the importance of remaining holy, of maintaining our separateness, being set apart for the express purpose of being able to continue to worship the holy God. Now, tonight we want to look at what I'm calling the Christological or the Christ-centered purpose. And we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures tonight. So, I want you to... When I announce a scripture, I want someone very quickly to find that text and read it for us. 
I heard an observation that someone made that it is about 10 to 1 women reading those texts. Now, men, let's let's jump in there and let's grab those scriptures, okay? Let's turn quickly with our fingers and be ready to read the word of God. Now, women, that's also a challenge now to you, isn't it? Those men aren't going to beat us to that text. But what we want to do is read these as quickly and as orderly as we can. So if if you'll throw your hand up, I'll do my best to try and identify you and read those texts. Okay, the first one, kind of to set our perspective, we're going to first, we're looking to see where Christ fits in. Are there some indications there in the book of Leviticus that remind us of the importance of Jesus? And then we're going to see what that text says. And I want to take us to some New Testament texts that kind of fill in the picture for us. You can't get the full picture from just reading the book of Leviticus. The New Testament is the explanation of that application. That's how we know that the thing is so. Okay, the first text that I want us to read is Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. You might remember there were several that I said were key verses. You might want to mark that one in your Bible. That's one of them. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. Anybody have that? Or maybe somebody just say, hey, I have it. Okay, back here. All right. Okay, the life of the flesh is where? It's in the blood. So why was blood used in offerings? Think about that. The life is in the blood. It was the blood that was offered in the sacrifices. Why was the blood used? Okay, it it is for the sins, but in order to pay for sin, what has to be substituted for the sin? For you. L-I-F-E, life. Where's the life? The life is in the blood. An explanation of the significance of the blood. Why did people like, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why did he have to specifically shed his blood? Answer, because the life is in the blood. And that text even goes so far as to say that the offering is for that purpose. In order to create a situation of atonement. And that's another word that might be foreign. I used it last time, but if you just break that word apart, it helps you to understand it better. Atonement is a compound word, at-one-ment, the condition of being at one with someone. In this case, it's being at one with, with God. God who is the holy God. How else can I make my approach to God? It is only through, it is only through the blood. I make my approach to God through the blood, which makes atonement. That is, it makes it makes, it breaches the separation that's occurred between God and men. Okay, now, thinking about that, someone read John chapter 1 and verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. Anybody have that? You probably know it by heart. Yes! Okay, thank you, Jerry. Now, 
John the Baptist, what was his role? What was his job? He prepared the way of the Lord. He was preparing the way. He was kind of like the... It was kind of like the guy that went ahead of the king, got everything ready, get the crowd separated, make room for the king. King's coming, makes, makes the way. Okay, so John, who was making the way, he announces, okay, it's time, it's here, because I see what? I see the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. Ephesians 5 and verse 2. I like what Jerry did. He just threw his hand up there like this. Because honestly, with that light, it's hard for me to see. Yes. To walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice of God for a sweet smelling aroma. Okay, tell me what kind of sacrifice Jesus is to God. He's a living sacrifice, but this text tells us something about how God experiences the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay, it's a fragrant, or uh, that translation said, a sweet-smelling offering. Is God, is God pleased with the offering of His Son? Abs absolutely yes. Question, now, just a question. If God is pleased with that sacrifice... Is he pleased with any other sacrifice in substitute of that? For instance, could I say, yeah, I know that the blood of Jesus is what makes atonement, but I'm thinking, you know, since I read the scriptures about how baptism is the means by which I access that blood and I don't want to be baptized, how about I just make something else that access? How about faith? Why not just let faith be it? Because after all, the original promise was made to Abraham and that promise was made on the basis of faith. So how about we just have faith, that'll save us and make atonement. And then if we want to be baptized, that will be okay. Is that how it works? Not when you approach a holy God. Because when you approach a holy God, your holiness is dictated by what? His word, whatever he says. You say, well, Ken, why did God do it this way? And my profound and deep answer is, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just, because he's God and that's what God determined was necessary to appease his wrath against sin. And I, you know what? People don't like to talk about God that way. Why not? Because it is the truth. And maybe if we experienced or saw the wrath of God enough, we'd be impressed with it. I'm pretty sure that Nadab and Abihu understood that it was important to offer holy things and worship him. Do you think that's true? Because they experienced the immediate response of the wrath of God. Titus chapter 2 verse 14. Now that text has already been telling us about the grace of God that's appeared to us. And we take it in that context that it is in the form of Jesus. But look at verse 14. That, that's a great text. Titus 2 verse 14. Yes, back here. Okay, so he has purified for himself his own, listen to this now, his own special people. Does that phrasing ring any bells for you? If something is special, what is it? It's set apart, it's 
Holy. Okay, how did it become holy? Okay, by the blood of Jesus. Jesus offered himself to make this possible. Um, This morning, we looked at Ephesians chapter 5. Christ gave himself, and in giving himself and dying for the church, what did he do? He purified her. Remember that? The phrasing there? He, He purified her so that he could present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You say, Ken, I am not perfect. And you're exactly right. You are not perfect. But one thing you can be because of Jesus is what? H-O-L-Y. You can be holy because it isn't you that makes you holy. I, I hope we get that. It isn't your good works that makes you holy. You can't be good enough. You commit one sin and guess what? You're not good enough and you'll never be good enough. The only thing that makes you holy is the blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't have that blood, then you can't be, as this text says, purified as a result of anything. Purification comes through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 9, and we want to look at verses 24, 25, and 26. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. Who would read that text? I know it's a long one, but believe me, you can do it. You can do it. Just hang in there. Hebrews 9, 24 to 26. Yes. For Christ did not enter holy places made with hands, which are patterned after the true one, but in the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not did he enter to offer himself often as a high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not their own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the world was created. But now he has appeared once at the end of the ages to put away sin by sacrificing himself. Appointed for men to die once, but after this comes the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. All right, thank you, Jim. Okay, you remember those Animal sacrifices that were offered. How often were they offered? Annually, every year. And in fact, you come along, you've transgressed against your brother or you've committed some blatant sin. You could be in the process of offering sacrifices a lot. How often did Jesus offer himself as a sacrifice? Once for all. Why do you think that's true? He is, he is not just a sacrifice for sin. He is the perfect sacrifice for sin. Romans chapter 3 tells us that God for, forbeared himself. In other words, God could have just condemned all of men and that's it. But what he did is he put the brakes on. And you know why he put the brakes on? Because the perfect sacrifice is on the way. That was going to be Jesus. And in 
in kind of an accommodation for the perfect sacrifice to come, God accepted the blood of bulls and goats. But I want us to remember this. And Jim, since you're already in Hebrews, did you turn out of it? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, please. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Could the blood of bulls and goats just erect? You brought your favorite animal. Oh, you've been nurturing that. You called it little Sally. You took a little Sally up there for sacrifice and you're like, Sally's going to save our whole family. We'll just offer up Sally and it's going to be over. We're going to be good with God. Is that, is that going to happen? No, because it, for, <laughs> for a year, for a year. But next year, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to, you know, Sally number two, <laughs> Sally number three. And what did that impress people with? I mean, what would impress you with? Man, this sin is a big deal, right? I'm having to do what? Continually because of sin. Year after year after year after year. Can you imagine how sickening that gets? You know, I, I, I don't know if you've ever had farm animals whose intended purpose was to become groceries and you fell in love, so to speak, with that animal, it became your pet. When I was a kid, that very thing happened. I had a cow that we bought from Edwin Boger. I named that little calf Bogey. And my brother bought a little calf that we got from the Sparks that my dad worked worked with Mr. Sparks. We called him Sparky. Bogey and Sparky. We raised Bogey and Sparky from little little sucklings. We had to fix their milk for them. Had a little bottle with a nipple on it. We just fed them and fed them. And, oh, it was just, we'd go in there. I thought one day I was going to ride Bogey. They don't like that too well. No, they don't. In any event, oh, we're just growing them, growing them, growing them. And one day, just kind of out of the blue. We loaded up Bogey and Sparky. And they went to the processing place. Then they became steaks and hamburger and stuff like that. And I'm going to tell you what. It took us a while to get over that. Well, until we had a hamburger. But I'm just saying, <laughs> that's not sensitive, is it? But uh, we just fell in love with those little things. Can you imagine? You've got to go through that every year, every year. You've been, and it's not like, we'll just grab one out of the flock here. You have segregated this thing because it is, it's perfect. You know, it's got no blemishes on it. We're going to take care of it. We're not going to let it get sick. We're going to nurture it. It's going to, it is a year long project every year, every year, every year. But when Jesus made the offering for sin, he did it once for all. And then it was over. It just, I'm telling you folks, it blows my mind that anybody who understands the sacrifice of Jesus would continue even one more minute in their sin. Because as long as you are in that sin, apart from Jesus, there is absolutely no remedy for your sin. Not any. If it's not with Jesus, it is not possible. 
Because not even the blood of bulls and goats given continually year after year, generation after generation after generation, floods of blood, not even one sin was wiped away forever because of that. All of that was looking to the one perfect sacrifice, the forbearance of God being realized in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And now verse 14 of chapter 10. Please. For by one offering, he has forever perfected those who are sanctified. Those who are sanctified. You know what the word sanctified means? It's holiness. How are we made holy? By our good works? By how great we are? No. By the Blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. First Peter chapter two, verse 24, someone. First Peter chapter two, verse 24. Yes. I'm sorry, Anita, I thought you had your hand up. First Peter chapter two, verse 24. Do we all know where first Peter is? Okay, JT, JT beat you, sorry. Living therefore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we have been died to sin and might live for righteousness by whose stripes we Okay, now watch that. He died on that cross for you, but what's he expecting you to do? Live for righteousness. Remember the second half of the book of Leviticus, right? We talk about the holy God, boys, holies. But now if I'm going to approach this holy God, I'm going to have to start living a holy life, right? A holy life. That is my response to him. And then also, okay, that, yeah, that's good. That's good. Let's move on because we're, we're running. You know, our time goes by quickly here. Okay, so we have our perfect sacrifice. You know that we also have in Jesus, identified, described there in the book of Leviticus, our perfect high priest. Now, stop right there for a second. What did the high priest do? I can't really hear what he said. <laughs> yes okay thank you very much he offered the sacrifices for everybody and himself but let me tell you something that is super special about this and that is that god was looking toward a time when the sacrifice and the one who stands in for the sacrifice are in fact the same entity wow Hebrews chapter 9, and let's look at verses 11 through 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. This is a terrific text. Who has that? Okay, Anita. Okay. 
That sounds like Hebrews 11. How about Hebrews 9? Yeah, back up a page or two. Okay, Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 14. for perfect in the perfect place. Okay, so where is it that Christ is offering his sacrifice? Is he doing it in the tabernacle or the temple, earth-based? No, he is not. Where is he? And, and by the way, let's, let's just let's back up for a second. You know the instructions that were given with regard to the design of the tabernacle. You know where the design came from? It's the design of the heavenly place. That's represented in the orientation of the tabernacle and ultimately the orientation of the temple. When you looked at that, you were looking at the place of sacrifice, the heavenly temple, the heavenly place. Christ goes into that place how many times? Just once. And he says that it isn't just like, okay, yeah, Jesus was the son of God. And man, that made it, that, that's what made it so special, blah, blah, blah. No, he says it is, it is according to the, the eternal spirit is what empowers all of this happening. So God sees this thing, not just as it is developing or unfolding. God has established a plan before the very, Ephesians chapter one, before the very foundation of the world. And now that sacrifice is made, not in the tabernacle, not in one of the three temples that have been built, but in the very presence of God in the heavenly tabernacle. Wow, doesn't that just, doesn't that just blow your mind? Not your head this way. It does mine anyway. I'm just, I'm just like, wow. Okay, so we've got this perfect sacrifice and we've got this perfect high priest who is expecting that we are going to live a holy life. Now, there were two passages related to that that I had you note in your Bible. One was Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. You remember that? And then also uh, chapter 19 and verse 2. And then our key text, the one that we would go to to kind of be foundational for the whole book itself. And that is chapter 11 and verse 45. Be holy for I am holy. That's what God established. You want to approach God. You're going to come to God in holiness with these holy sacrifices that comes through the blood of Jesus. But you also, the life that you live, you are to be conditioned to live a holy and an upright, here's the key word, righteous a right life before God. So our intention is to serve him in purity. Let's see. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. This will be our last text right here. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. Yes. Okay, you know this is directed to Christians. And so apparently, like this, this is written to the church in Thessalonica. They had gone from idol worship, which involved sexual immorality. Now they're serving the true God. And he's like, this, let, me, let me make this plain to you. God is desiring sanctification. He is desiring holiness. If you're going to approach God, which, which you are, that is the indication that you have made, then you're going to have to live this holy life. God has called you to holiness. So don't, you know, don't turn away from that. I'm going to give you some texts you can read on your own that kind of go along the same line. Um, one is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. That text also deals with the idea of maintaining holiness. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21 is a text that talks very similarly to the second half of the book of Leviticus. Deals with the life that you live. Here is, here is the way you are to live. This is the expectation that is made of you. And then kind of bringing it all together is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. It talks about the difference between walking in darkness and walking in the light. Walking in the light does not mean that we are perfect because we sin. And if we say we don't sin, what are we? We're a liar. We're deceiving ourselves. But the point is, even though I'm not perfect, I can still be holy if I'm walking in the light. I can still have forgiveness of sin, all made possible by the... B-L-O-O-D of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good stuff? I just, I just love Jesus for that. Okay, we close our service giving an opportunity. Maybe there's someone who needs to respond tonight. We have some elders in our audience. Here's Jim. Any other elders in, in here? Uh, well, here's one on the front row already. <laughs> okay, and uh, back there is Buster. Uh, if you'd like to talk with one of our elders, maybe there's a prayer request that you have, or if you'd like to make it with me, that's fine. We'll, we'll take whatever time's necessary to deal with the situation that you have. If, if your desire is to obey the gospel, uh, please let us sit and talk with you about that. 
Also, the Lord's Supper has been prepared for anybody that was not able to partake of it this morning. That will be in the chapel. We're going to sing one more verse of the song, 230, Worthy Art Thou. We'll sing the second verse that we skipped a moment ago. So if you'd like to go during that time, you may do so. And after that, we'll have a prayer and be dismissed. Let's all stand together. Number 230, the second verse. Let the voice in to assemble here and to participate in this time of Bible study. I pray that your word will be written on our hearts and impressed upon us the importance of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Father, I pray that we would not hesitate for one moment to take advantage of the extraordinary effort you put forth to make our salvation possible. Motivate us to act on that. And if our salvation is intact, I pray you will help us to remain faithful to you, that the blood of Jesus will continue to wash and cleanse us. And Father, when we are wrong, I pray that we'll recognize it quickly and repent. Thank you for your mercy and your grace for salvation through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.